Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. Once airborne, we'll let you know when you may use approved electronic devices, but note that some items may not be used. Welcome to another episode of the Cobra Cast. After we had this uh, great chat with the boys from the Bali Geckos, we thought it'd be only right to to head somewhere else in Asia and, and find more about the Asian football. So let the people know, Dog, where we're headed. Mate, today after our lovely chat with the fellas from Bali, we are off to Japan, to be precise, Osaka. Lovely. So how far away and how long? Uh, so Osaka's just over 8,000 kilometres from the Cobra Pit, and it would take us just over 12 hours to fly there direct, mate. And amazingly, even though we're that far away from them, only time difference of an hour. Yeah, it works out very well. I think that's why it's a popular tourist destination with Aussies. But So the Osaka-designated city covers around 223 square Ks, and the designated city has a population of just about... Oh, just a measly 3.5 million people. Yeah, so we've got the designated city in there because trying to find, uh, or trying to do math for myself isn't very good. So it's just easy to follow what Wikipedia has to say for me. Um, so one of the main tourist attractions in Osaka is the Osaka Castle. It's uh, a castle in Osaka, Japan. The castle is one of the Japan's most famous landmarks and it played a major role in the unification of Japan during the 16th century Period. You left out a few words, mate. No, no. No, no. Uh, Azuchi, Azuchi Mayoma. Mayoma period. Yeah, look at that, mate. You're getting pretty good at this pronunciation around the world ever nah, since well, our trip to France. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah. I won't try it again. Anyway, the national support in sport in Japan is like, well, they love all sports over there, but obviously it's sumo wrestling, mate. They, it's obviously they, got a lot of support, I guess. Yes, it needs... <laughs> needs it um and japan's national food is curry rice yeah that surprised me i'm not gonna lie to you i'm yeah. glad i looked these things up and not just go with my gut what were you uh, gonna say mate oh i was a bit hungry today so i went and had some sushi for lunch that's what i was assuming their national food was but just shows you that uh just because it's the main thing that they advertise here doesn't make it correct so uh so there's been a couple of famous people born in Japan. We went with Japan, not just Osaka, due to my pronunciation, pronunciation of fucking, of, yeah. my pronunciation. Of English? Or? Yes, of English. <laughs> so born in Japan, uh, uh, WWE, and he also was a New Japan wrestler, Shinsuke Nakamura, and former Melbourne Victory great, and bloke that played for AC Milan and a couple other clubs, Cascade Honda. And uh, you want to read that? 
yeah, Cascade Honda, mate. He was an absolute superstar for victory before he injured himself. And do you want to read the next one, mate? Because I was a bit you were surprised as I was at this one. Yeah, this one was quite baffling. That NFL player Robert Griffin III was actually born in Japan. Uh, yeah, maybe his uh, old man was... Uh... Uh, from the reading up on it, it was, I think his dad was a service member. So yeah, they were... It's usually the way it works, isn't it? Yep. So uh, what about so, the character, mate? Japan is also the home of Hello Kitty, as yeah. well as many other, you know, great anime characters. Yeah, it was hard to pick one, so I figured that's why I'd leave it with you, mate, thinking you might have a few. But uh, would you like to know a bit of history about the Aussie rules in Japan? Oh, I definitely would. Okay, so Australian rules football was first introduced to Japan in 1910 by A.W. McLean from Melbourne, who was successful in introducing it as a sport to four large high schools in Tokyo. So, you know, not quite the Dingo territory, but still in, in Japan. Um, by having the rules translated into Japanese. Actually, pretty smart. It is not known what happened to the sport at these schools after that time, though. All right. So, in 1946, a match was played at Curie. Uh, Hiroshima between the British Commonwealth base team and the 168th General Transport Company at Anzac Oval. Would have been quite the match. That's a mouthful, mate. Do you know, right, back in 1986, uh, 25,000 people packed up Yokohama Stadium to watch Carlton play Hawthorne in, a, in an exhibition match on Japanese soil. Don't know why yeah, anybody would go watch Carlton play. Uh, oh, why, you were successful back then, I guess. Why wouldn't they want to see that, mate? I, I may have been only two years old, but sounds like a... I reckon the Carlton must have a fair few fans over in Japan after that, for sure. Yeah. So I hope you enjoy this chat with uh, Matt Gale from the Osaka Dingoes. He's uh, full of uh, plenty of knowledge about not only Osaka football, but AFL Asia as he's worked on their board and stuff as well so there's also a nice little shout out to a bloke we had on our second or third cobra cast around the globe series from thailand yeah yep there's uh yeah a couple of name drops there look out for them um yeah so i hope you all enjoy and we'll see you at the end thank you all right so today we're joined by the president and and coach of the osaka dingoes and he's also a member of the afl asia advisory board uh, Matt Gale, how are you going, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, guys. Great to uh, be in, uh, getting on board with you guys with the Cobra cast today. So it should be fantastic. Be uh, a lot beautiful. Of- we uh, appreciate you getting on board. We've uh, heard heard some good things about you f- through doing a couple of Asian clubs. So um, yeah. you've, you've, they've talked you up a bit. So <laughs> Pressure's <laughs> on. I hope so. All right, so... Uh, when and how were the Osaka Dingoes first founded? Uh, I believe they were first founded in 1990. Um, obviously, expats. Um, so just take things back a bit further. I think most of the clubs, the, the initial clubs that were first formed in Japan were off the back of the, the game that's played in Yokohama in the mid to late 80s. Um, the Osaka Dingoes were actually red and black. And for some reason, they changed to what we currently are now, which is blue and um, light blue from the Darwin Buffalo. So um, there's some trace history back to 1990, but uh, I think as a club, we really started pumping out players and um, being a competitive footy club in the mid 2000s, early 2000s. And then uh, 
yeah, we've we haven't actually played in a structured competition since 2013, which was my first year here. Um, they just wanted a, a more of a Tokyo-based league, as such. Um, we're in a, in a different league now, which I think we'll press on later. But there's only two teams in that league, and uh, makes it hard for scheduling and things like that. But yeah, it's a, it's a good club. But one of the things that is different about this Sakuringa compared to any other club in Japan is that we're 50-50 expats and locals. Um, whereas the Tokyo Goannas, they're probably the only expat club. They've got about 90% of their players are, are Australians or or from Europe. And the rest of the club's just Japanese, all Japanese players, including two um, university-based teams. So once they graduate from university, they disperse back into the mainstream clubs in, in Tokyo. So it's a good way of keeping them uh, involved. Although once they finish university, a lot of them, they start their careers and they don't have time for footy. So yeah, it's a unique sport in this part of the world. Yeah, I'm sure it uh, uh, comes as a bit of a surprise to locals and stuff when they first get introduced to it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we get a lot of we get a lot of converts from rugby backgrounds or, or soccer. And as a coach, you try and iron out that deficiency with the hook foot that comes with with rugby players and, and soccer players somewhat as well. But yeah, a lot of transferable skills and uh, Japanese pretty good at it. They're fast, but um, you know they 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 lack a bit of knowledge of how the game's played uh, strategically. Yeah, we actually played a exhibition match against a Japanese team. I can't remember. I think it was a team they'd brought over for um, the International Cup. And yeah. that was a few years ago. And, yeah, one thing for sure was there was a lot of fast players out there. They might not have all had the, mm. the best skills. But, yeah, there was definitely some speed. Yeah, that would there. have been the Japan Summarised team in 2017 or 14. Um, so they were playing a few trials with, with clubs in based in Melbourne. Um, they do take over a Japan Warriors team on the on the off years of the International Cup and that. So that could have been one of them teams, one of those teams as well. I think yeah. it might have been the Warriors. I think Warriors. Yeah, I think it was, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because they they're not allowed to train and they're not allowed to play as the Samurais. It's only an international cup team. So the Warriors, they go to the Warriors and those um, those trips. So they're all university players. Um, they get a massive break, so they usually do that in July, August. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when was the actual first Dingoes game and? And how many players did you have back for that first game? Oh, I wouldn't have a clue. I could, I've only been in Japan for seven years. Um, so there was... I did play in a, in a bit of a rebel league there for a while. There's a guy who um, owns, a, owns a bar, a cooler bar, and he was running a league there for a while. And there was teams based in Kobe and Kyoto, I think, as well, and Nara. So, yeah, it's... Um, but... We actually became a part of AFL Japan, I reckon, about 2006. Um, we've sort of been pretty much affiliated with them since. They got away from that breakaway league and played in a more structured league until 2013. So um, one thing we do now is we play a lot of exhibition games and games against the team that's out of Tokyo. And I've organised, I think, last four years, we had an Anzac Day Cup um, that we play. We've had the infamous Brian Lake Cup. So uh, we had the Singapore Wombats and Brian played for the Indonesian Volcanoes. Um, so that was a very interesting uh, weekend and, and the week afterwards. And we've also had the, the Shanghai Tigers came over last year for a, and the Mongolian Wolves played their first game against us in October last year. So 
just being involved with AFL Asia in a numerous amount of roles has allowed me to to tap into you know a new market for football being played in Japan. So yeah, we'd love to play more footy, and that, I think that's the hardest part for the Saka Dingoes that we we train a lot, but we don't get to play many games. Um, and if so, sometimes we've got to go overseas. So you know, last year few players from my club we went and played at the Asian Championships in Thailand. Um, a few years before that, we've played it in Shanghai. Um, they've had a Shanghai Cup. So it's, it's almost cheaper for us to fly and go to Thailand or China than, than go to Tokyo and play in Tokyo because um, the price of the, the bullet train is it's around about 450 return nowadays. Um, so it's actually cheaper to fly to Thailand or Vietnam or Shanghai than what it is to play in our own country. That's Jeez. incredible. We uh, spoke to the fellows from Bali Geckos last night, and when we told them that we'll chat to you today, they made sure we uh, asked to mention about that Brian Lake, <laughs> the Brian Lake Cup, as you like to call it. Who'd you talk, who'd you talk to, Rick Hollerinshaw? Uh, Rick, Jack, and Hinchy. Yeah. Hinchy. Yeah, Hinchy. Yeah, uh, Hinchy's played at every Asian Championships um, that we've ever had. So he's, uh, mate, Hinchy, he's a top bloke, and uh, Jack Ahern, he's just, he's just an Orient alone uh, that he battled with drug addiction and Rick's probably the best bloke I've met one of the best blokes in Asian footy he's outstanding and um, you know just to have blokes like Dane Swan come over through through Rick the last Asian champs um, been a plethora of AFL players that he brought through that have played either at the Bali Masters or Asian champs um, been phenomenal and he's been you know really good with the locals as well Rick he coached our AFL Asia Lions last year in the curtain closer against China. So he and I are really good mates and um, we really appreciate what input he has on footy in Asia. Yeah, sounds like they've done a good job. If you are listening to this, go back and listen to the previous episode of the Cobra Cast where we do chat to the fellas from Bali. Um, so you said about the jumpers and the colours. They used to be red and black. Yeah. You're, the jumper is quite unique. How do they come about, that jumper, and not just use your stock standard jumper that we see in the AFL and a lot of clubs use? Um, I guess one thing that we've been able to do is through uh, an AFL Asia um, preferred supplier, which is Tribal Sport, which is these guys here. Just give me a bit of a, a, bit of a quick plug. <laughs> um, so they actually do reversible Guernseys, and it's really good for and really lightweight for us in Asia because um, with the high humidity. And you know, if you've got a jumper clash, which a lot of clubs in Asia do, you need that reverse Guernsey. Um, so it comes in pretty handy. Um, but ours, is, I think it looks like one of the best Guernseys you ever come across. Um, it's really exciting blend and good colours. And, um, so, yeah, we've been pretty lucky through him. He's based in Queensland and obviously everything gets made in China. Um, so we've been pretty lucky with him. and We get a lot of our AFL Asia stuff done through them as well. So. But, yeah, it's easy, mate. The, the supply chain's quite easy. A lot of clubs got their own suppliers as well in Asia. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really handy. Yeah, it is one of the uh, better-looking jumpers. As soon as I seen it, I was like, yeah, that looks quite nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you want to throw me the password to jump on the Tribal Sports website to buy myself one to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, how hard is it to get players across? So I know that you said that you're 50-50 split. Do you have yeah. trouble trying to get uh, locals to come and embrace the game? Yeah, it is. It's tough because how do you recruit blokes and you say, oh, you only play three or four times a year? Um, Japanese people in general are really, really busy. Um, so you can only really train on weekends. And I, I reckon about 60% of the population probably work on Saturdays as well. 
It's only left with Sundays and um, it's keeping guys motivated and retaining them. Um, so when we play a game, you know, you, you, you got to fight like hen's teeth to try and get blokes to get involved and, you know, scratching for players. And luckily we only played nine aside. So just with the size of the, the grounds we play on because we, we play on, um, play on soccer pitches and rugby pitches that are, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a bit of a turf, not, not natural turf, artificial. Um, so we once, we once played a game on a, um, on the outfit of a baseball field. And it's probably probably one of my greatest memories. I managed to kick twenty out of twenty four, and the the half forward flank on the wing was actually second plate, second base, which was in the dirt. Um, <laughs> so you just it's just what you get, and just to hire a ground to to play on, I think it costs us about one hundred fifty bucks an hour, just to Jeez. hire a ground. So we've, we've managed to come up with a bit of an agreement with with a uh, a facility which is about an hour from. Where we where we live, and we're in the bang in the middle of Osaka. So for others, it's you know we got guys that come from Kyoto and Kobe to play for us. Um, so and expats come and go. I think that's the hardest thing. A lot of us expats are getting old too. So I'm 42, um, and most of the guys in our team are, are like mid to late 30s, and um, you've got a couple of Japanese lads that are around 17. So they're they're pretty good, but we're trying to sort of teach them the ropes and um, some older Japanese guys. But once they get into their career, post-university, they sort of get lost to the system because their company owns them and they don't have time to, to dedicate themselves to sport much anymore. So, yeah, that's about where we sit. But, um, yeah, we always try and get guys. We've got a, one guy that comes and plays for us from Sendai. So I think Sendai is basically like flying from, from Melbourne to Sydney. Uh, yes. So he flies down and plays in the odd tournament as well. Yeah, a bit to our fight. So, yeah, and we got another guy that just moved from Vietnam to Tokyo. He, he's keen to play for us, but we haven't had that opportunity since the coronavirus hit. Um, so it'd be good to get him involved. He's a pilot. But, yeah, so yeah. we've found talking with a, a lot of these international clubs, they have, it's a, it can be a common problem around the world where, in Australia, we sort of take for granted this uh, weekend warrior type sporting culture that we have where, you know, a lot of us that do play Aussie rules prioritise that over working a Saturday and stuff. And there's, you know, the odd bloke that says, nah, I can't, can't play this week, I've got to work. And we're like, ah, you weak bastard, come have a kick. <laughs> like, where, you know, different cultures and stuff, they don't have that, that uh, you know, sport as a hobby. It's sort of... If you're not playing a professional level sport, it's it's not really a hobby you then take up outside of it if it's going to take up too much of your time, which I guess makes it hard to, to recruit players in those areas and get them to play. When Yeah, you need that outlet. Um, you need to get away from your missus and your kids as well. I think yeah. that's the best part about it. Um, and you go on train on a Saturday or a Sunday and that's that two hours afterwards that you, you do your bonding. And luckily for us, and I think it's probably a question you'll press on later, but we go to training. We, we train at an open park. There's no change rooms. Uh, the, the days of getting a rub down and, a, and getting your ankle strap all there, you've got to do it yourself. Um, and you've got to share the, the surface with about 20 other dogs. Uh, so the old footy gets a bit... My dog might cock its leg or spit all over it. And, uh, so, you know, there's luxuries. But the two hours afterwards, we've got a two-hour all-you-can-drink place, about 15, 20 bucks. 
and you go your hardest. But um, that's the luxury of, of socially in Japan. You get that little bonus on top. Yeah. Yes. So you uh, you play in the the Go League or Go League in yeah. Japan? So it's, it's Go League. So the A League is basically all the Tokyo based teams. We try to get back in there. Um, but they wouldn't let us because they just wanted to be a Tokyo's um, based competition. So one of the, the primary clubs, the R246 Lions, is a bit of a hard one to spit out. Um, they, they're the only club that plays against us. There was going to be the Century Powers, which is a university-based team because they had a lot of leftover players. First and second year players weren't getting a game because they cap it at 15 players in the A-League. So they were hoping they could make it into a bit of a three-team competition and it's more of a development league um, so the Lions which is disappointing I, I think for them that they've got a number of Japanese samurai players that are in that team that aren't getting the opportunity to play at an optimal amount of time so you only get to play about 8 to 10 games a year if you're in the in the A-League and um, the, probably the best Asian born player Michiko, Michiko, Michito uh, Sakaki he, he went and trained with Essendon about 13 years ago, did a pre-season with him, and he's best player in Asia, Asian-born player. A bit longer than tooth now, he's about 35, but he's not playing regular footy, and he should be. Um, he, he's put his club in that position because he wanted to develop this league. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this time next year when I move back to Australia and whether the dingoes uh, remain. We had to go through. We went through a dormant period after 2013 until 2016 where... We knew that we weren't going to be in that, what was called the top league back then. So I knew the writing was on the wall and I went and travelled for a year and it wasn't until we, a few of us got invited to go and play for the Tokyo Goannas as Japan Goannas at the Asian Champs in Vietnam that thought we'll get the boys back and we'll start having a few trainers, get ourselves prepared. And it was quite early on I worked out, well, if I don't resurrect the club, um, that dormant phase is going to turn into a permanent. They'll be gone forever. So... Since 2016, September, I've sort of resurrected the club and got some sponsors on board and tried to revive some of the players and the, and the team and the club. And, you know, some trainings will, will get seven to ten and then some trainings will get two or three. Uh, we're probably the smallest club in Asia, but, um, yeah, we, we enjoy ourselves when we do get together. Yeah, so you mentioned sponsors and stuff. How, how hard mm. is it? to get sponsors over there? Yeah, well, we got one of the um, Irish bars, one of our former players. Um, he, he manages the Blarney Stone and Shinsabashi, which is about two k's from here. Um, they sponsored us for a year. Um, and we got another guy based in Emerald in Queensland, who a guy he grew up with. Um, he wanted to sponsor a club, and he, his own club back in, in South Australia, didn't hit him up, so he said, I'll sponsor you guys. So, in essence, like, how do you promote a club that rarely plays? So, we've been pretty lucky with those two sponsors, but um, I guess with COVID 19, it makes it pretty difficult to have ongoing sponsorship, and then everyone's taking a haircut money wise, so that makes it a bit difficult. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a thing that's happening all across Australia at the moment as well. We know of clubs that have lost quite significant sponsors that they've had yeah. for 10 plus years. Um, mm. So you mentioned about the social side and you have somewhere where you have two hours of 
beer for 15 bucks, which sounds like my, uh, my type of after training. Rift, you might be starting to look into it, our club, mate. <laughs> um, no chance, no chance. <laughs> what other social events do you guys get up to? Obviously, you don't get the chance to play too many games, but is there obviously a way that you guys uh, bond and whatnot on the weekends, on certain weekends, or what have you? Yeah, we have our, have our annual AFL Grand Final party, and that's, they're very popular in Asia, right across Asia. Um, I guess the other, if we've got a Saturday, we go to a, a pizza, a Kulamizakai, which is like a Japanese bar. So they actually pour beers into the, a petrol pump, a uh, petrol bowser. So we go there and I know the owners pretty well. So when we have a tournament, we usually go there and you know, it's 30, 40 people go and do the two hours. So when we go there after training, sometimes they just let us stay there until we're happy to go home. So sometimes we've stayed there three or four hours for the 15 bucks. Um, but yeah, we do. We we be, we've been away on a trip to one of our, our vice president moved about four hours away, so we went and stayed with him and, and did some Auskick clinics at the local school there. Um, planning on going to the horse racing um, later this year once once everything gets cleaned up. There's the Hanson race course here. They've got a four tier indoor uh, mounting yard, so four four tier grandstand in the mounting yard, and it costs. About two dollars fifty to get in, fill your backpack up full of beers, and then you go. And you know it's just amazing. You go to KFC, you get a burger, and you can buy a beer at KFC. So those sort of things. Um, try and make yeah. it a little bit more social once we get back into things because um, we've also got the uh, one of the only ones in. I think there's a few in America, but there's an all-you-can-eat KFC about fifty minutes from here. So that's about twenty bucks, or you can eat KFC. No potato and gravy, though, and no burgers, but, um, yeah, you just get stuck in. So that's a, that's a bucket list for a lot of people, that one. Yeah, definitely. How many, pl- sorry, how many pies did you say you have? Just a quick question. Just a- uh, We've got a group, and there's about 25, 28 people in the group. Right. But I reckon you'd add probably about another 30 blokes from Sandown coming across the uh, the races and the all-you-can-eat KFC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we did have Broken Hill North. Uh, Box Hill North came over 2013 and uh, we entertained them for one night and yeah so if you ever want to come on a footy trip mate Osaka there's a lot of lot of good places around yeah I don't know if there'd be too many boys coming back after <laughs> all you can eat KFC with beers as well jeez that'd be uh I mean, Rifty, we've had a good time doing this podcast, but I've got a feeling that by doing this, we're actually going to lose half the majority of our club to just places overseas with what we're hearing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a hit, that's for sure. But So how did you come to get involved in the dingoes in the first place? Um, so I came over here on a trip, Christmas 2012. Um, little bloke I used to go to university with, he moved over here. And he said, why don't you come over for a visit? So I came over. Fell in love with the place and I met my future wife on Christmas Day 2012. So, you know, we're sitting in Hiroshima, just looked at the A-bomb, saw the museum and sitting on a stainless steel toilet seat at zero degrees on Christmas Day thinking, what the hell am I doing in Japan? Um, so I ended up catching the Shinkansen, the bullet train back here and had a Christmas party at my future wife's parents' place and hooked up with her on the back end of the trip. Um, and then three months later, I moved here and then... Went to the Dingo's train. I was about 125, 130 kegs. I'm about 103 now. And I just said, oh, well, 
might as well coach you guys. So self-appointed myself straight away and, and took over the reins. And yeah, we we um, we missed out on winning the premiership by about just under four goals um, in that that one and only year. And I think I nailed 104 goals in nine games, including some big bags at 2015, 14, and 13. And I think every game bar two was above 10. Um, but we're playing on, you know, small little soccer fields and rugby pitches and nine aside. And um, yeah, that was the best year I've ever had living here. Um, and then took over, obviously, coach again and president. Um, so just having that opportunity to be involved with AFLAs has probably been um, the biggest thing for me because it's allowed me to put a lot more passion into a bigger picture set up rather than little club Osaka Dingoes where, you know, you struggle to keep blokes or get blokes on board. Whereas you, in Asia, you, you know, we've got 17 full member clubs, um, three in China, and you, you got Hong Kong, Singapore, Philippines, Thailand, uh, Vietnam, Myanmar, Laos, oof, Mongolia is almost probably amongst it now. And it just the amount of trouble. I've been on nine footy trips now just with footy. Um, three, three to China, a couple to Thailand, one to Vietnam, one to Laos, one to the Philippines, one to Malaysia. And just absolutely love it. And the people that you meet, you know, you've got lifelong friends through, uh, through AFL Asia. And it's a bit harder in Japan, but yeah, it's been brilliant. And we've managed to get AFL Japan on board as a, as a member of AFL Asia, which was, which was a big, big plus and a big tick. Uh, since I was when I was president, so I was the president for about two years uh, until we we changed there. We were we were set up as an entity, so we actually fought uh, tooth and nail to get an employee on with the um, through the AFL. So a few presidents, and I was including myself, we worked away for about three or four years trying to get an employee. Uh, managed to get the guy is a Asia development manager, uh, Simon Highfield. So I actually went for the job and uh, got uh, got pipped at the post. Um, and in hindsight, probably lucky with the coronavirus that, you know, he's been stood down now until September. So, you know, the longevity of that position, you know, it, it could be quite vulnerable. So whether I swing back into his president after this, uh, if he does lose his job, uh, it won't be short term until I move back to Australia. But yeah, we've we've been really lucky with, with what we've been achieved with AFL Asia and, and managing getting some sponsors on board and really promoting local local development. That's been our key thing. Um, and the clubs that have invested in local development in, in Asia are reaping the rewards. So it's been really quite beneficial to their club and their club culture. Another thing, AFLW, um, being involved with AFLW in Australia, I coached the Premiership twenty years ago. Uh, it's always been a high priority for me. Um, and we've managed to, I think our first AFLW Asian Champs 2018, we had four teams. Last year we had six. Um, going to be difficult with a lot of expats have gone home this year. What that may look like this year, but there's new clubs popping up, you know, all the time, which is really handy. Yeah, it's nice to see the women's game is uh, striving all over the world. You mentioned yeah. about being the president of AFL Asia. How did you get into that role? Um, I guess it, Early 2017, I approached AFL Asia and just said, um, what's going on with the China game? How can we 
can we organise something? Let's yeah, yeah, we've we've got something in the in in mind. And basically, they were having their AGM, and I just said to the incoming president at that time, mate, I'm happy to do anything. I'm happy, really keen to get involved in whatever capacity you like. So the first year, I was the um, coaching and umpiring development coordinator, um, and I still maintain that sort of role until we changed to an advisory board. And at the end of the first Asian Championships in the Philippines, he was moving back to Australia, the president at the time, and I sort of said, well, who's going to put their hand up to be the next president? And I said to him and president of the Vietnam Swans and Cambodia Eagles, I said, look, well, I'm pretty keen to do it. I'll, I'll put my hand up. And the reason I wanted to get involved in that capacity was because I knew that there was going to be a job coming up with the AFL. And I was hoping that I'd you know, get enough expertise and experience through doing the role that would get me some runs on the board to potentially get the role. Um, and I guess now that Simon's got the job, I play a pretty uh, senior role in advising him. So we, we talk daily when we were up and running, which will obviously slow down a lot. But um, to be a key figure rather than driving the car, uh, which is AFL Asia, I can now sit in the passenger seat or the back seat and just advising where to go and what needs to be prioritised and still a lot of things we need to, to get organised but it's it's a work in progress and it is a full-time job so you know, I was teaching full-time load and then I was um, doing part-time teaching business English at Panasonic sort of three nights a week doing 15 hours 20 hours a week with AFL Asia now I just get the luxury of, of writing our doing our um, AFL Asia Facebook page and a lot of our articles through our website and so that sort of stuff now, I can just play all my efforts into one particular key area rather than the whole range of <laughs> of tasks that comes with, with being a president. So yeah, that's the background to that, but it's been really enjoyable. I don't think my missus really understands what I get up to. Um, she's quite naive being Japanese as to what I do, but it gives me an outlet. And um, it's, it's a little bit tricky to find good mates in, in Japan because a lot of the guys that live here are pretty nerdy. Um, they come over here and they're a little bit unique. They don't really fit in in their own countries, but they come to Japan, they learn Japanese and women treat them like kings. And um, so I don't sort of fit that. I'm, I'm more of an Oka, Aussie Oka, you know, rough around the edges, call it as I see it, whereas I sort of don't fit the bill as an, as an expat living here. But um, yeah, Asian footy has just allowed that to to come to fruition. You're only a phone call away from you know, my best mates is the, the president from Vietnam. So you should get him on board, Eric Kerrison. Uh, he's, uh, he's a ripper. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll have to definitely get him on board. And I guess having su- such a heavy involvement in uh, AFL while you're over there sort of gives you that mm. connection back home to sort of makes you still feel, feel quite Aussie when you're dealing with an Aussie sport. Uh, yeah, well, that's it, what I do. I listen to SEN every day, and I'm walking around Japan. I walk. I'm averaging about eighteen and a half kilos this month, and listen to SEN, and I feel like I'm I'm back home, but I'm on different soil. So it's it's unique, yeah. Yeah. So you've you've obviously achieved a fair bit in the, you know, in a relatively short time that you've been over there. But what's mm. what's the thing that you've been most proud of your time at being involved uh, in AFL Asia? Um, oh, I, I think probably the big picture stuff like being a, a father. I've got a little five-year-old who's on the other iPad um, trying to keep him entertained. 
But being a father, I think that's probably been my biggest one. But with AFL, I think I got recognised a couple of years ago by AFL Japan uh, for service of recognition. Um, I guess to be recognised by the AFL, they gave me a bit of a golden handshake to, to play a, an advisory role when Simon first came on board. Um, so that was, you know, that was really rewarding. Um, but just to uh, just to be involved, look, to give something back to the game that's given so much to me. I, I'm semi-professional from 2017 to 22. Played at the Woodward West Times Eagles um, in the SNFL. Only got to reserves level. Um, didn't crack the the seniors through. You know, four years of uh, five years of, of a career worth of injuries. So I went in the '96 draft. I'm still waiting for my name to be called out. But um, on track record, mate, I kicked seven goals in my last game as a 42-year-old. I've got the runs on the board. Yeah. But no, in all seriousness, it's um, my old man's been a really significant uh, mentor, and he was a um, a really good administrator himself. So just to follow in his footsteps to, at an administrative level to give back to the game and you know, I, I I still can play, but I'd rather umpire. So when I go to Asian Championships now, I just umpire, you know, run 25Ks for the day and and uh, just love love the umpiring, love getting amongst it. If you if you can't be the best player, you can be anyone. I might be the best umpire. And when I umpire the women's games, I, I make sure it's more of an educational focus and, and trying to assist the players as to they're still learning. Uh, let's educate them in the process. So, yeah, just... Um, just organising tournaments is probably one of my my uh, biggest enjoyment. Like last year, I organised the Shanghai Cup um, and the Asian Championships along with Jared from, from Thailand and his Thailand Tigers crew. So just having a, a fair bit to do. It's, you know, I love doing the scheduling and, and promotion and um, it's just, just a really enjoyable phase and I've been a really enjoyable phase of my life. So... When I get back to Australia, I don't know what I'll do footy-wise, but it won't take long to to get involved again. I definitely, um, okay, Rift. No, I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of leagues over here that would love someone with your experience. That, like, I think guys over here struggle enough getting teams to play on two opposite sides of a, a suburb, let alone halfway <laughs> across the other country. So, I think your your expertise would definitely help out a, a local league over here. For sure. Yeah. Yep, definitely. So you mentioned um, that you were the coaching and umpiring development coordinator across in Asia. How hard is it was it to get people to try and be an umpire and to coach people? Because obviously our rules aren't exactly yeah. the simplest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, look, we've had things went online. So when I first started doing that gig in 2017, um, you could do it online, but they had to do a practicum. So I was, I was, I become an AFL. AFL assessor of umpires, so I had to do a course and then I'd evaluate umpires and got to the point where a lot of them had a few based out of Cambodia, they just sent me videos of them umpiring an internal game. Um, I was doing it in in Shanghai, I think I assessed about five umpires in Shanghai one year, uh, maybe an Asian champs, and just assisting our first ever women, uh, Asian born woman as an umpire. Um, she's based in Cambodia. Mate, just to, to see her wanting to go to tournaments, just to umpire, is absolutely amazing. So she actually got a GoFundMe-type page last year and got herself over to Shanghai, um, which had its own difficulties because of being a local with Cambodia. You know, the government 
China. I thought she was going to be part of, you know, uh, a smuggling ring. <laughs> so <laughs> she had to have 20-odd thousand US in a, in a bank account to, um, to get a visa. So luckily the president, I think at the time of the Cambodia, he was put 20 grand in a bank account and then got the visa done and took the money out. And so, you know, just the things that people do just to be involved with games is phenomenal. Yeah, it's actually quite impressive. Just want to go back a bit. You mentioned that your uh, jumpers and everything are quite easy to get hold of. How about like yeah. the, uh, the footies and tackle bags and all that other stuff that you use for training mm. in games? Is that, with some of the people we've heard about is uh, it sounds like they try and, get people coming back to the country, bring footies yeah. back with them, which is opposite yeah. to when people are coming home from overseas to Australia. They try and get their mates to bring back alcohol and cigarettes yeah. and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, we don't actually have any tackling bags as such. We could get them through sports stores here that are, you know, there's a lot of rugby played here. So there's, you can get transferable equipment. Um, footy. So AFL Japan have got an agreement with Burley. Um, and Burley's are a, a, a horrible ball to use. They, they're, they're fantastic for kicking floaters. Um, within Asia, though, we've got we, we've got a good setup with uh, Sharon. So basically, you can get them delivered to anywhere in Australia. Then you've got to get them to your uh, to your club. So one of the former vice presidents of AFL Asia used to fly back to Australia, and he'd get a, he'd bring them back through his base in Hong Kong. So we could do it that way. Um, the AFL donates us quite a lot of footies uh, for our Asian Championships every year. Um, so that's really handy. But, um, yeah, it's just got to have a contact back in Australia. And everyone does. Um, it's just a matter of people going back and, you know, just to try and get things through customs in certain countries. It's pretty difficult if you go direct. Um, so you've got to have someone back home. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's um, throw a few players under the bus and stuff and <laughs> yeah. uh, get a bit of funny questions for you. So, like, first of all, what's been the, the funniest thing you've seen uh, in your time over there with the dingoes? Um, I guess one thing I did last year, I, I went and go, don't swan a shoe shine. Um, he was playing for the Philippine Eagles and um, kicked the monster goal off two steps out from outside 50 and, You've never seen too many umpires give Dane Swan a shoot, Sean. I'll give you that. <laughs> I imagine you probably wouldn't. Um, yeah. All right. So who at the Psycho Dingoes would uh, you say is the ladies' man or likes to think they're a ladies' man? Uh, probably Yoshi. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he thinks he's a ladies' man, but his, um, his statistics aren't real good. No, his stats are poor. <laughs> All right, how about the uh, class clown or the joker of the club? Uh, probably me, yeah. I like sending people under the bus and <laughs> shit, yeah. You've got uh, the right person to talk to, Rift. What about the party animal? Uh, uh, probably Yoshi, yeah. He, he's pretty good. We don't have many party animals. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we, lack a, we lack a few of them, that's for sure. And the mum and the dad of the club. So who's the two people at the club that the dingoes would be lost without them there? Uh, probably Yazid Dada. He's a um, Malaysian-born Muslim guy. He's, he's the heart and soul of the club. 
and he's probably one of our own real recognised life members in our club. Um, but he's he's probably going to stay for life. But probably him and myself. We don't really have any women involved in the club. My wife comes to training every now and then, but my little fella here, he'd rather go to the park with his mates now than come to footy training. And he's pretty scared of those dogs that get around at training. So, yeah, can't get in there very often nowadays. Is your son's roof to you missing being at the club? Yeah, my, yeah two of my boys, uh, yeah, well, they love going over to the swings and stuff over the other side of the ground, but they do love being down at the footy. And, um, yeah, they can't wait to get back out there. And hopefully you guys will be able to get out, out there soon and get a couple of games in before. Yeah. And you know, once all this stuff's over. But where can everyone go to sort of follow along? Not only the Osaka Dingoes, but AFL Asia and AFL Japan. Well, you can just like our Facebook pages. Um, I look after the Dingoes and the NAFL Asia Facebook page. We haven't had much content on our Dingoes page for a while. But, yeah, just send us a message. And AFL Japan, the same. Um, might have to use a Japanese translator for the AFL Japan one. That's all, all based and looked after by Japanese staff. But, um, no, look, it's a wonderful game. In Asia, uh, I think there's about 12,000 participants now Asia-wide and it's only increasing. And it'll only increase through local development. It won't increase expats come and go um, for the game to really, really sore. It needs to be local development. And, and thankfully, a lot of these clubs based in Asia have put a lot of emphasis and strategicness into in not only recruiting locals, but also making sure it's sustainable club-wise because it does cost them a lot of money. Um, you know, taking guys on tours. They don't have a lot of money, the locals that live in Southeast Asia. So um, clubs spend a lot of money trying to get them to tournaments and it, and it doesn't, it's not cheap. So kudos to them. Yeah, well, hopefully you can recruit a few more sort of top level rugby players that, you know, might not quite make it to the top level and, and get them across to play a better game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Ed Dog, before? I just want to thanks Matt. thank Matt for joining us. I uh, really do appreciate it. It's been nice to find out about the dingoes. And I'm really enjoying finding, about, finding out about all these Asian clubs and just how uh, connected they all are to each other. It's fantastic. So thanks for your time, Matt. Yeah, no, no wonderful. Um, we would have been uh, two, we're two weeks away from when the, the Shanghai game was scheduled. And we're, we would have had our Indochina Cup the week after. So the Indo, Indochina consisted of those countries that in between. Uh, Indonesia and China, which is your Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, Myanmar, and um, let's say Vietnam, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm missing those sort of events in the Bali Masters. That was, there was three tournaments in a row. So, hopefully, um, for all those AFL Asia folks out there, we can still get our Asian champs organised later in the year, whether it's October or November, um, just to give everyone a bit of hope and something to look forward to later in the year. But yeah, from, um, from my point of view, really thankful for you guys and what you're doing um, to, to promote and, and tune in to guys that are based in overseas clubs. Uh, yeah, it's outstanding just to, the club can pick up on this. And a lot of people are doing podcasts at the moment in Asia. Um, the Philippine Eagles are doing theirs. Um, we're about to start ours, which will be called uh, How Good's Footy in Asia. So um, that's only just around the corner. So tune in for that when it comes up. Yeah, we'll definitely share links and stuff when you get that up and about. And uh, I'll look forward to listening to, to some more podcasts from you guys over there. Excellent. Uh, but, 
yeah, thanks for your time and um, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on the dingoes if you if you're able to get a few games up this year. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, all the best to the Cobras as well. Uh, one of my best mates, I call him Cobra, and um, or Cobb for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, go to the Cobras. Yeah, no worries. And if if you are back in Australia next year and you want to come down for a kick, we're always our doors are always open. We'll uh, I don't know if Ed Dog will share his full forward spot <laughs> with you, but I'm sure I'm sure you'll be able to kick a few goals for us any time you want. Uh, brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cobra Cast with the President VP. Uh, thanks again to our guest, and make sure you go check out all their social media and follow along with their journey. But at Dog, where can everyone go to to get these links and stuff? Mate, you head to our Facebook page, and uh, you can search the Sandown Cobras Football Netball Club or Sandown Cobras FNC. Our Instagram at Sandown Cobras FNC. Our Twitter page, at Sandland Cobras. There's another page on there, at Sandland Cobras FC. Ignore that. Twitter won't delete it for some reason. Uh, you can also check out the CobraCast on iTunes and Spotify. Um, other than that, Mark, I reckon that's about it. Oh, sorry. You can also head to our website, www.sandlandcobrasfnc.com.au. Being remastered. All good to go. New website. That's it, Mark. Yeah, go check it all out. Make sure you follow along all the clubs that we've had on and, and uh, you know, follow along their journey as they keep going in Aussie rules all around the world. So we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for watching the Cobra cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact new life psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra Cast with the present VP.